folks. My name is Jim. I am Pastor Jim's younger brother and uh, also named Jim. So good to be with you this morning uh, as uh, this is hard to make my voice up this high. So let me come back down to my normal. There we go. That sounds much, much better to me. Um, Anyway, uh, yes, I have taken off the beard. I'm down to just a goatee now. And, uh, um, some tell me I look younger. I don't know. Does it matter? I'm just me. We're in Mark chapter 11 today. Uh, we're uh, going to pick up at verse 11 and kind of where we left off yesterday and considering, uh, you know, Jesus had, had ridden in. It was a triumphant entry uh, into Jerusalem, into the temple area. 
Uh, and it says in verse 11, it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. <clears throat> he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So, I mean, they left they left the temple area. And, uh, uh, and I, I just have to wonder, as Jesus looked around uh, at the temple area, uh, what was he thinking in verse 11? You know, was he making his plan? Was he making his strategy uh, for the for the next day, uh, or um, was his heart broken? Uh, was he angered? Was he saddened? Was he all of the above? Uh, you know, he he assessed the situation in verse eleven, and then pick up in verse twelve. It says the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Now, they, they, it doesn't say anything about having breakfast. It says they certainly didn't have bacon or sausage because uh, they were pork-free, if you remember. That's Jewish custom, Jewish practice. Did not eat little piggies. Um, so nothing said about having breakfast except for the fact in verse 12, it says Jesus was hungry. It says, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went out to find if it had any fruit when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, he went to a fig tree thinking, maybe there's some remnants of last year's fruit. I, I don't know. Or maybe he was thinking there's maybe some early fruit. But what we do know is that Jesus curses the fig tree. Now, um, a little bit later on in the narrative, we recognize they walk by that fig tree later on and realize that it is all withered. I mean, you could say, was it right of Jesus to curse the fig tree? Uh, poor fig tree. I mean, we could all get all tree huggerish. We could be fig tree huggers if we wanted to be and say it just wasn't right that Jesus... Uh, cursed the fig tree just because it didn't have fruit when he wanted it. But nonetheless, uh, it is something that Jesus does. Uh, it, the scriptures tell us he never sinned, so for him to curse the fig tree was nothing wrong. Now, I, I want to remind you of something out of the book of Genesis. Man is given dominion over all created things. So for Jesus to curse the fig tree... I mean, Jesus knows that man has dominion, uh, and we've kind of lost that sense in our day. We, we, we live to serve the environment, especially those that are far out on the deep end of environmentalism. Now, just talking about environmentalism, I think that Christians should be environmentalists. I think we should see Christians who uh, are devoted to the stewardship of the earth in a godly way, in a God-honoring way, not in a way that uh, places the created things over the creator. That's where the environmentalists have gone. And uh, again, there, there are different. there's a spectrum of environmentalists, uh, those who are reasonable, uh, and then those who are just flat-out bonkers and, and creating all kinds of narrative that, uh, and they point to their quasi-science. And, uh, you know, the earth's going to be burned up by the year 2050. You know what? It may. 
It may be burnt up by 2050, but it's not going to be because the environment goes awry. It's going to be because, you know, Christ will have returned uh, to take his church out. The rapture happens. The, the tribulational period happens. Actually, it's not going to be 50 years. We know that because the new heavens and the new earth does not come until the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. So based on uh, uh, eschatology, based on uh, the study of end times, that's what eschatology means, I can tell you if, in fact, the Bible is correct, and I believe that it is, that this earth will not flame out for at least a thousand seven years, at least. I think even longer than that. So it will be that long, and so we base our view on what happens to the earth, uh, to the earth on Scripture, and it's not until the end of the millennial reign that uh, that Christ uh, gives us a new heaven, a new earth after the judgment of all things. So just put that in your hat for just a moment. I'll be right back in just a second. Got to go turn the heat down just a little bit. And I'm back. So, I mean, as, as you're trying to figure out what your position should be, how should we feel about the about the earth, about the environment, uh, and, and all those things, just to be thinking about the fact that we know biblically. So if you're in a conversation with somebody, they might say, what science do you point to? You say, I, I point to herme- hermeneutical science. And they'll go, what? I've never heard of it. Hermeneutics, the the study of of language and the study of language tells us quite simply that in the bible as we study it hermeneutically study it linguistically as it's meant to be studied that uh, this earth does not fade out does not flame out for at least a thousand more years now that's not to say that there's not going to be hard times on the earth i think the tribulational period is going to bring many hard times on the earth, but in terms of the earth's destruction itself, we're at least a thousand seven years minimally away from that. Why do I say seven? Because the tribulational period is seven years, and then Christ reigns for a thousand years beyond that. Uh, In fact, you could perhaps even add 49 days, so uh, 56, a thousand fifty, no, that's days. Not years. You get the point, though. Jesus brought this curse on the fig tree. Uh, man has dominion over the earth. Uh, we we live far too much to to serve the earth. Uh, it, when in fact, our view needs to be a view that that we are stewards of the earth and we have dominion over the earth. And you say, now, where do I get that from? I get that from the book of Genesis. In the first few chapters, it tells us that man is to rule over the earth. That is where this thinking comes from. Now, we will come back to the fig tree maybe today and see what the disciples have to say. We know that Jesus curses the fig tree in this verse. 
May no one ever eat fruit from you again, he says. And his disciples heard him say it. It's key that the disciples heard him say it because this is, um, it, it'll be their testimony later on. Now, let's get down into verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, again, this is the next day. This is the day after. This is Monday, the day after the triumphal entry. Says Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. Now, so we see Jesus coming in. Uh, now, remember, the, the prior day, he had, uh, he had probably sized up the situation in the temple courts, and in sizing it up, he saw that, you know, just as the the uh, the tax collectors would do here we see uh people charging exorbitant fees for the purchase of animals now it wasn't unreasonable that that they sold uh the doves it wasn't uh, unreasonable that they sold the lambs that they sold or the bulls that they sold because it was maybe more difficult more unreasonable for people to bring those cattle or to bring those birds with them on their journeys from, from all over Jerusalem. And so to be able to simply buy them in Jerusalem was made sense. The problem that Jesus had with this is that instead of doing it outside the temple in the market, they are doing it inside the temple. They set up their merch tables inside the temple area uh, and even if, and there's some thought that even if they had charged reasonable fees, perhaps maybe that would have been acceptable. Um, but they didn't. They were charging exorbitant fees. And likely the reality was that they should not have been selling the merchandise in the temple court area. It should have been taking place outside of the temple court area. Uh, so that the the temple court area wouldn't just become a place of money changing, but rather a place of reflection, a place of repentance, a, a place of renewal, uh, a place of redemption, uh, a place of restoration. Uh, that is what the temple court area should have been, and the temple area should have been. Uh, and yet they made it a place, money changers, hey, get, and so they, they softened the spiritual impact of it because people were, uh, you know, doing, just doing their duty, going through the motion. I bought my pigeons, I bought my doves, I bought my, I bought my sheepies, I bought my bulls, I, I, I bought what I need, I've done my uh, ceremonial duty, now I go home. They were missing the spiritual impact uh, of what the temple area should have been all about. In fact, he tells us, as we look at verse 17, what his father's house ought to be. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. 
I mean, what does that say to us about the local church? Does this inform us? Does this instruct us at all about what the local church ought to be? I mean, are we a place where people can come in and pray at any time? One of the things that we're doing this year in, in Veracity Chapel is we're coming back and evaluating what are our priorities. I just preached on that this past Sunday, and uh, we're meeting the elders and deacons, newly affirmed elders and deacons are meeting this Thursday to delineate some responsibilities, but to ask ourselves, what are our key priorities? What are, if you will, what are the big rocks that we need to put into our jar first? What happens so often in ministry, what happens in life, is we get busy dealing with the smaller uh, incidentals of life, the more tertiary things of life, and the big things that we need to be taking care of we don't have room in our lives for because we're busy chasing after the small stuff. And so this year we're really saying what need to be the big initiatives. So so what are the priorities? What what are the big rocks? What are the key areas? Uh, and then and then beyond that, uh, asking ourselves the question: What uh, what are our objectives? What are our goals? What uh, what are the action plans that we will do? And I, I can tell you that prayer will be among one of those areas of key priority, key result areas, big rocks, if you will, because we read right here in Mark eleven seventeen, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Is that what we experience? What do we expect? What have we made the contemporary church to be? Is that it? Or is it something else? Ponder that for just a second, if you would. I'm going to step away from the microphone momentarily. My little associate was gnawing on a bone, and I wanted to move him away from the microphone so you weren't hearing crunch, 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 crunch. Although, I think he's going to come back and lay down right back behind me again. I don't think you mind the little black lab doing that, I hope. But to think about for a moment, you know, what's the, what's the point? Why do we go to church? What should we expect of the church? What should we expect to happen in the church? Are, are, are we in the church doing the things that God wants us to do in the church? I think that is a key consideration. Jesus points here to the temple at the time of this second temple cleansing. He did it early in his ministry. Now he does it again at the end of his ministry. Uh, but what is he expecting? He wants his house his father's house, to be a place of prayer. So how can we amp up prayerfulness? And what do we expect when we go to church? I mean, so often we're so focused on the incidental things. And I've already mentioned this. We're focused on, is it too warm? Is it too cold? Is it too too loud? Not loud enough is, you know, what about, I don't know if I like those light colors. I don't know. What about keeping our hearts focused and saying, I'm not going to let myself be distracted by all those other things. I'm going to... I keep myself focused on the things that matter 
to the heart of God. That's what I'm going to focus on. And uh, I'm going to make sure that I am worshipful. I am going to make sure that I am prayerful. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I'm loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what I'm going to do. Now, I could get into the conversation of, you know, should you ever have merchandise in the lobby of the church? I mean, there are some that would take this this uh, particular passage or the corollary corollary passages, the, the synoptic passages, and say we shouldn't ever be selling anything uh, in the sanctuary for certain. Uh, some would take it to say we shouldn't even be selling anything in the lobby. Um, some would go further and say we shouldn't be selling anything at the church. So you, you take the, the wide spectrum of, of churches. There are churches that have bake sales. Now, now I just want you to know uh, from where I sit, you, you just need to hear this from me. This is personal opinion. I think that churches have, have to have bake sales to keep the lights on. They're missing a whole bunch of stuff. And, uh, you know, and, and I would tell you, if in our church setting, if we had to have bake sales to keep the lights on, there's a spiritual issue. I, absolutely, I, I'm absolutely convinced of that. Uh, uh, solid evangelical churches all across the board would say that they, and pastors would say they absolutely concur with me. Now, if you want to have a, a special sale to raise funds for something special, maybe, but uh, churches that, that have bake sales and, and chicken bakes and things like that uh, to keep their lights on, that tells me they're missing the heart of God. That tells me they're missing the heart of mission they're not a missional church. In fact, they, they, those people may not even believe in Jesus, really, and, and salvation by faith alone. I feel strongly that way. I, I believe that way. Uh, and, and so I, I would tell any church leader, if that's what you're doing to keep the lights on, uh, there there is a spiritual issue. There is a health issue. Um, there is a mission issue. There is a vision issue. Um all of those things that need to be considered and looked at if, if you have to, in essence, go the direction of, of making the house of prayer a house of bake sales. And some of you maybe come from backgrounds where you go, you're really, you're really hitting hard against this. Yes, I am. Uh, I've had to tell pastors along the way at times that, look, you might need to get out of the church that you're in because it's, if you've been unable to affect them toward mission, uh, the, the mission of winning disciples, of winning new converts, of helping people grow as followers of Christ, uh, then then you, if you can't make that change, then get out. Uh, if those people are so entrenched that we don't want to hear all this Bible stuff, we don't want to hear the, the need of, you know, being born again. I'll tell you that that is not God's church, and you need to get out of there. And uh, and again, I might be rubbing against some of you that. But evaluate. I mean, do you hear on a regular basis in your church the type of stuff that we're talking about? And all I'm doing is communicating the Bible. Um, so I, I bring that challenge. Uh, I I believe God's people should be the ones that support God's church. When, when we give as we ought to give, uh, there is ample resources for the church. Uh, so... Yeah. Now, and Don's saying, I think there are some appropriate uh, means, and and I've I've said that. I I think that sometimes maybe the youth uh, doing something, 
Uh, they're they're, they're going to raise funds, and that's a, a good thing for them to learn. Uh, for us in our church instance, uh, we give 25% off the top of uh, monies coming into the church, offerings coming in, goes to missions. So for us, that is about $60,000 in our church setting this year that will go to support foreign and local missions. Uh, and uh, uh, But that comes right out of the giving. Uh, you know, and I would I, I would just challenge uh, churches to, and Christians to ask themselves, what's my prayer life like? Uh, to, what does what does my giving indicate about my heart and about my relationship with the church and about my faith and my trust in God? Uh, I didn't plan to go down this road, but I guess I am going down this road. Uh, I am a believer in considering at least. Now, some would say that that the book of Malachi isn't for today. But let me take you over to the book of Malachi for just a moment, and I want to show you something. Uh, and, and to me, this is this is a conviction. Uh, book of Malachi, he, the Lord says, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Uh, ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will the man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And God answers and tithes and offerings. So just you look at you look at the the um, the dialogue. Now again, this is specifically for for Israel. And if you go back specifically to Israel, their tithing amount was was nearly a third, was probably twenty six to thirty three percent that they were required to give annually. In in they didn't have taxes, but they gave into funds that would help take care of people in the community. Um, Funds that would take care of the temple and those serving the temple, uh, and those types of things. Us, we look at a tithe as ten percent. They were distant from God, and it's interesting that God doesn't say, "You know, you need to get back to me by reading your Bible." It's interesting that God doesn't say, "You need to get back to me by um, fasting more." It's interesting that God doesn't say, "You need to get back to me by uh, serving your neighbor better." No, he goes right to this. He goes right to returning to me by not robbing God. Verse 9, he said this. You're under curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Now, it's interesting. He cursed the fig tree. And here we read also the idea of cursing uh, in this passage. He says in verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I mean the house of God, uh, keeping the purposes of God. Uh, it, and so I, I get into this conversation. 
uh, about giving, supporting about the house of God and uh, what they were doing. And they were selling wares to, to make money. It's like us. Sorry about the noise. If 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 we're selling T-shirts to keep the door open, if we're selling books to keep the doors open, we're missing the mark. Now, I realize maybe we live in a different day, but we need to come back to the biblical, straight on biblical teaching that we read here uh, in the text. Now, after he does this, after he uh, does this temple cleansing, they leave. And it says in Mark chapter 11, down at verse 20, in the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from roots. I mean, this is the very next day. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. And verse uh, 22, Jesus says, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. Now, I am likely to come back into this passage a little bit more tomorrow, but my house will be called a house of prayer. He's talking about the, in the temple, and now he's looking at this and, and saying, whatever you ask for in prayer. So we talk about the the essence of our spiritual life in, in our prayers. We talk about the essence of our spiritual life and how we regard the church, how we regard the temple. Uh, we talk about the essence of our spiritual life in, in our giving and our believing in God and what God will do. I round out this morning asking you, what do you need to trust God for? I know what I'm trusting God for. God has been very gracious with me thus far, and uh, I know he'll continue to be gracious with me in the days to come as the month of March is coming and be heading to Turkey and then on over to Sudan in not that far into the future. God is being gracious, and you're a part of that. But what do you need to trust God for today? Walter, in his comment, says this. He says, when we withhold our gifts to God, we're telling him we don't trust his promise to provide for our needs. Will we trust him? Look at Malachi chapter 3. Look at Matthew chapter 6 toward the end of the passage, uh, and just consider uh, your heart for God, your trust in God, your relationship with God. Lord, help us today to live in a way that pleases you, to live in a way that demonstrates our faith and trust in you. That's our prayer, that we might glorify you. Lord, where have we been off kilter in, in regard to uh, stewardship of the earth? Forgive us. Where we've been off kilter in regard to uh, our prayer life? Forgive us. We've been off, uh, off kilter in regard to uh, what we treasure. Forgive us. Help us to realign ourselves with you, that we might live in a way that pleases you and receive your blessing, like you talked about in Malachi, the blessing where you pour open the floodgates. Lord, we look to you today. Lord, hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, remember to keep praying for Turkey and Syria today and for Ukraine 
and for what God will do in our world. Have a good day, everyone.